Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Full, and thanks for listening. Let's find out what it's like being freelance for vlogger Amy Schmidtauer. Networking. You know, you can't just decide that it's, it's the time because of how you feel. You know, how do people know you? How do they, how do they want to work with you? How do they think of you? They're going to be your biggest supporters when you have to tell the whole world, hey, I'm starting my own business. You know, how can I help you? You need people to hear you say that. I had a really hard time thinking about even hiring a VA, just somebody to answer some emails or schedule something. I just thought, oh, that's so dumb, I'll do it myself. But there's stuff that's got to get done and it can be better done by somebody else. And if you know how to manage time and money, then you should do that. Otherwise, you're really not growing a business. If, if you don't want to grow your company, then keeping your hands on everything all the time as one person is a good way to keep yourself there. Yes, it is Amy, who I called a vlogger, although that doesn't really do justice to what she does. We will find out how she will describe herself in a moment. Let me just remind you that there will be links at beingfreelance.com. That's the website. Uh, for all of our guests, you can find links through to what they're up to. So you can reach out to them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it may be. And and that's actually really nice. You know, if you've enjoyed an episode, then yeah, why not tell them? Because uh, sometimes people are, you know, like sometimes... I ask people to come on and they're like, oh, I don't know whether I've got anything to say. When, of course, they have. So actually, if you've enjoyed it and you reach out to them in that way, I think that's um, that's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Also, while you're at beingfreelance.com, as well as checking out the other episodes, you can sign up to the newsletter. And there's also the chance now to watch the vlog as well, which I've had so many nice comments on, which is good because I, <laughs> I felt like a bit of a... What? A plum? I don't know what the word would be uh, when I started it. Uh, up to about episode five or six now, depending on when you're listening to this. Well, you could be listening to this far into the future, in which case maybe we're on episode 100. Or maybe it's already been turned into a feature film. Uh, it is uh, it is the Being Freelance vlog. It's on my YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash Steve Folland. It's not an interview. It is me charting my freelance week. That's what it is. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, keep checking that out and let's crack on shall we and go to the states and say hello to amy schmidt hey amy what up whereabouts are you by the way in the states i'm in columbus ohio when i introduce you um because like normally i say i don't know a freelance graphic designer or freelance uh i don't know coder or whatever it might be how would you describe yourself a um, because you do so much, a, a content uh, marketing coach, a vlogger, uh, what would it be? And I mean, I'm a new media triple threat. I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a YouTuber. I'm a speaker, and I'm an author. A new media triple threat. That's I'll, what I am. <laughs> so we always get started hearing about how you got started being freelancer. Basically, how the hell have you ended up where you are today? What you're doing today? So here's what happened. I thought I knew everything and what I was going to do. I was in school for political science. I worked for an incredible fundraiser and lobbying and fundraising, and that's what I was doing. And I, suddenly I fell in love with online video, and that led me to start a YouTube channel, which also led businesses to look at me and go, you know how to use the internet. Can you help us learn how to use the internet? And everybody at that time was just trying to figure out how to use Facebook. This was back in 2010. So I started working with businesses on the side on their social media presence. Luckily, it was on the side because nobody wanted to pay for anything back then either because they just thought the internet's free, so everything should just be free. But I did end up getting a few paying clients, and that's how I started sort of the, the side hustle. That's what everybody's calling it today. I just sort of called it a passion project. I wanted to go home and work on these 
things and, and build communities for my side hustle clients to um, figure out how I could continue to do this as a full-time engagement for myself down the road. So after about a year and a half of, of just a passion, passion side hustle, um, I finally left my full-time job and left all the cushiness of it to start my own business. So what was the point where you felt comfortable enough to make the jump to wave goodbye to your full-time job? There is no such thing as comfort. I think a number of things happened in order for it to feel like this is the moment because I don't think you're ever going to get get to comfort. It's too easy to call everything else comfortable than to than to say this is what I'm going to do and I'm comfortable doing it. I'm going to leave my 401k, I'm going to leave my benefits, I'm going to I'm going to leave my free office supplies and my boss who pay, pays my taxes for me. That's it's too hard to call anything outside of that comfortable because when somebody else is taking care of everything for you, you know, it, that's difficult. But what I did have going for me was there were some shifts in my, in my workplace that, you know, it would have been a good time to leave. And I'd also worked so hard with my clients and I was getting more business. It's just that I couldn't take that business because I didn't have full-time hours to give. So, you know, even though the, the work was coming in, it wasn't coming through because I couldn't actually work with them because of how much time it was being taken away to my full-time job. So with all of those things sort of building up and continuing to educate myself, go to conferences, surround myself with people that are like-minded and figure out this is really what I want to do. I need to take a chance on this. Now is the best time to do that. All of that stuff had to happen for me to feel the courage to do it. I certainly didn't feel comfort in it. But I felt the courage in it, and I knew that I had a backup plan if I needed it, but I haven't needed it since. And <laughs> as soon as I left, I was able to support myself because people were like, oh, she left her full-time job. We need, we need you to work for us. Come, come do work. So um, it just it happened really beautifully, fortunately. But that came from a lot of side hustle for about a year and a half in addition to networking. You know, you can't just decide that it's, it's the time because of how you feel. You know, how do people know you? How do, they, how do they want to work with you? How do they think of you? They're going to be your biggest supporters when you have to tell the whole world, hey, I'm starting my own business. You know, how can I help you? You need people to hear you say that. So your initial clients were local to you? That's right. Um, initially, in fact, most of my clients, you know, within a year of leaving my full-time job ended up being across the country because actually, you know, I'm in the Midwest. In California, it was starting to become more well-known that this was something that you needed and it should be a part of your marketing budget. In the Midwest, it re they really didn't get the memo. It didn't feel like to me <laughs> until mid-2012. But then mid-2012, I really started to pick up local business again. I mean, you mentioned that you started your vlog and people start, you know, started to notice you locally, but, you know, oh, you're doing this. So what were you vlogging about at that point? So I literally was just showing off my life. And that was from 2008 through 2012 or and a couple things later on. But it was literally just a lifestyle video blog. That was all I did. I just showed you how to make something that was mundane and normal, like walking the dog or taking a trip to Target and making it look cool by the power of editing and YouTube. And so that was, that was how I was getting people's attention. It wasn't because I was being, you know, a suit and tie in front of a green screen, sophisticated and talk about marketing. Um, I was just being a normal person and I was showing people what the power of, of messaging through video looked like. 
that's how people started to find me. And so with your freelance clients, you were helping them do content marketing or doing social media or, or in the, the, in the beginning, it was just about the Facebook freak out. It was like, we need to have a Facebook page because everyone says we need it and we need your help with it. It was literally just that they didn't even know it was content marketing. But in fact, it was because if I'm going to help you manage your social presence, we need to have something interesting to talk about. And buying your product or signing up for your newsletter isn't going to do it for us. So content marketing naturally ensued. But a client was calling me and saying, can you do our Facebook? That's it. That was all they wanted. It had nothing to do with video. It had nothing to do with blogging. It was just, can you do the Facebook? That was it. So how did it evolve from there? Um, You know... When I left full time and, and, you know, I, I wanted to continue to vlog, but I also thought I needed a specific platform to the type of content that these clients would want. Um, people were finding me through that video blog, but businesses were certainly not the target audience of that initial video blog. So Savvy Sexy Social started in 2011 when, hey, just started my business. I'm going full time. You need to know me. You need to hire me. I'm going to talk about why. And I'm going to answer all those questions that you have as to why with this vlog. So that's when that, when that channel started. And it really started to evolve because now people were finding me for a video, but now they were wanting video because they were seeing that I could be professional and fun and, and quick and valuable all at the same time. And while they were learning something that they needed to know, and so I was meeting them where they needed to be, such as like how you have a good Facebook presence or how you get Twitter followers. I talked about those kinds of things, but they were pulled in by that and then went so far as to say, I want, I want to have a video presence like this. So fortunately for me, cause I kind of got, you know, sick of the whole social media execution game. I was starting to get people come to me and say, how do you do video? How do we do video? How do we do it in house? How do you teach us how to do this? And so my consultancy gradually kind of my, moved over to a, a content marketing company with a focus in video, but certainly social media plays a major role here because it supports everything in terms of distribution. So that was where things really started to evolve, which paid off really nicely considering year over year over year over year, it's the year of video. Here we are again, 2017, it's the year of video. People have been telling me it's the year of video every year. They're like, Amy, you're really onto something here. It's the year of video. And I'm like, yeah, it's been the year of video since like 2012, people, like get on board. Just if, if if it's the year of video again, just make freaking video please do anything. They're making it so easy. There's this app called Snapchat. You hold a button down and you get 10 seconds, make a video. So it's, it's really fun for me because suddenly my business took a form of actual passion for me. The reason I left my full-time job was video. And now I get to do that. Not only do I get to continue to present content that represents my brand, but I get to teach companies how to do the same thing in their own personality. So did you find yourself starting a production company? Uh, yeah, for a little while, but w- I tried to stay away from that as much as possible. It's very hard to do. And in some cases, in very special cases, we, you know, I'll still do that with our company that we have now that where we'll do a little bit of production because sometimes you have to really have your hands completely in it in order for a client to, to get it. Uh, but it's not always, you know, the smartest move on their part. Once they see the light and they see what's possible, they oftentimes want to bring it in house. So yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting bag of tricks that you sort of have to play in order to get a company to see the light on what 
the power of this medium can do for them. But um, the cool thing is that it makes every day a little bit different. It keeps it interesting. And in the end of all of it, we're making fun video on the internet. And that's the whole reason why I started doing this. So did you start a separate company from your own name or Savvy Savvy Sexy Social, which is like your you know you're teaching people kind of thing did you start a a company so yeah so savvy sexy social is the name of the show on youtube and and my my company that i've owned since 2011 is vlog boss studios and that's the consultancy i've had for some time um in the last year i have teamed up with my fiance to do a more robust video marketing consultancy which is called Aftermark. So we work with medium to large size brands on what their video presence looks like online. That could be Facebook, that could be YouTube, it could be a lot of different platforms, but what is the most effective way for you to tell your story and how do we share that? So that is something that was a a line of work that I was being asked of a lot, but it didn't really fit into the scope of what my company was before, which is why this was a perfect tie-in with Vincenzo because his specialty in live video was a really important component to include here because of the incredible influx of attention that live video is getting right now. With that, is it just the two of you? Is there a team of you um, well, we're pretty much the faces of it. We also have a team because on the production side, you know, things have to get done that we we can't always do. So we have an interactive team that helps us with live production, and we have a team that helps us with pre-recorded production. And how did you find that then? From going, you know, because there's a stage where this is just you and where you're doing everything to the point where you start to bring other people on to help you, hiring, outsourcing, or permanent staff. I don't know. Like, how how did you? Find find that transition? You know, honestly, it it was not as difficult as I anticipated it to be just because you you have to you have to keep pivoting and you have to keep adapting to everything that's happening and I'm I'm certainly happy to be somebody that advocates for and educates myself on so I can educate everybody else on video, but that doesn't mean that I'm the expert in every way. And I want my client to have the best work every time. So if I can get someone that's smarter than me for certain aspects of a project or almost every aspect of the project, because it's going to be better, you know, better time and money spent, then I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, as, as a business owner, I think you always have to go through a transition of feeling like your hands need to be on everything and trusting your team. But I have actually found that when you do trust your team and you empower them, then they actually can do some incredible stuff more than you probably ever could have thought that they, they, they did. Um, and, and I've only seen the opposite happen from micromanagement. <laughs> There's that point though, where you, where you're thinking, well, if I did this myself then obviously I get all the money myself, but also it's going to take right. me longer cause I'm busy doing this. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. But if you find that you have valued your time and if you su- if you've done something for so long that you feel like you should have grown in some capacity by now, um, I, I value my time heavily. And if I know that I can have all the monies and that's awesome and and I'm going to do the project just so I can keep all of it, but it's going to take me four times as long as it might take someone else, it's not worth it to me. Because while that somebody can be working on it and I can be paying them the rate that they deserve for what they do, then I can be out going and getting other business because my place as an educator and the face of the brand is better spent in the marketing side. 
So I think you really have to look at that and say, when is the point where my time is worth more? You decide how much more, but my time is worth more. Um, I actually heard Michael Hyatt on a podcast once and up until that point, I had a really hard time thinking about even hiring a VA, just somebody to answer some emails or schedule something. I just thought, oh, that's so dumb. I'll do it myself. But he said something and he said, would you ever pay an assistant $500 an hour? And the obvious answer there is usually no. And then he said, but you already are, because if your hourly rate is $500 an hour and you're checking your email and you're making your own schedule, then aren't you paying an assistant $500 an hour just so you can do it yourself? It's just, it's just silly, but there's stuff that's got to get done and it can be better done by somebody else. And if you know how to manage time and money, then you should do that. Otherwise you're really not growing a business. You might end up being a, a single person or a freelance business forever. And I don't, you have to just consciously decide if that's what you want to do. If, if you don't want to do that, if you want to grow your company, then keeping your hands on everything all the time as one person is a good way to keep yourself there. Mm. Now, you continue to grow the Savvy Sexy social side of it. So it was the YouTube channel, but it became a lot more than that. Um, Savvy Sexy Social is a show on YouTube. Yes. Um, and that's, that's always been a really large marketing platform for me. So is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, I get the impression that from that, from that show on YouTube, you've then created more like a, a whole kind of community, uh, and a paid community as well. Um, speaking from it as well. It all seems, it seems more like a community rather than just a show that doesn't seem to do it justice. Sure, but um, I guess just to clarify, that I was just clarifying sort of the name. The name is, is the show. The business is Vlogboss Studios, and what has happened is what Savvy Sexy Social does really well is introduces video blogging to anybody that wants to do it. And so that can be the business side, that can be the freelance side, and that could be just somebody that enjoys making videos, which is much like where I was when I discovered it, um, you know, almost 10 years ago. So... That has led me to absolutely create some products in, in Vlogboss Studios because as the years have gone on, Vlogboss Studios has become more of a uh, passive income type of revenue model because people that want to learn about video who don't have a business may not have a marketing budget because why would they have a marketing budget? They just want to learn how to make cool videos online. So there are things like 30 days to better vlogging or social authority that allow people to learn that on their budget, depending on where they are, small business or even smaller than that. And so, yes, that has been the focus for Vlogboss Studios. Savvy Sexy Social is a marketing platform for that, as well as I think my personal brand as a whole. So, um, aftermark the business, my speaking engagements, my book and et cetera. The speaker, when, when did that start? Yeah. So that happened really early on. Just, I think people think somebody that makes videos to a camera, uh, can talk anywhere. So, <laughs> uh, I started getting inquiries about that in 2012, I think. And, um, I just took a chance on it cause somebody said, Hey, we'd love for you to speak. And I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And I think if you can hold your own and, and talk about what you know really well on a podcast interview or in a video or to a client, then you should be able to do it to a room of people as well. Speaking was never something I thought I'd be good at, but that sort of developed as many engagements as I, as I was asked to do over time. 
um, it certainly built a, a great opportunity for me, um, especially with specializing in video marketing, which is highly in demand in a lot of these spaces where they're asking for a marketing professional to come in and talk. So yeah, that's, that's built up quite a bit over time. And, um, I'm fortunate now that I'm a paid speaker and that's a part of, that's a part of the business as well. Not only to be able to make that aspect of the revenue, but to also leverage that as an opportunity to convert clients for Aftermark. So, okay. So we've got the vlog, which you, so it's no longer a personal one. It's more about video marketing, a podcast speaking, the community, which you are involved in doing training in a group session. You do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Mm -hmm. Just that's on a case by case basis because a lot of my time on the consulting side is in aftermark, so not as much coaching one on one. Okay, but and it's then, still it's still it, it was a um, it's certainly something that exists. And then you're very busy within aftermark as well. So then you thought, I know, I'll make life easy for myself. I'll write yeah. a book. That's you're exactly right. It's not easy, <laughs> um, but I think that's why I put it off for so long. And um, truthfully, it was something that I always felt was missing in my arsenal of, of information. And I love to educate people. So I just thought, why not offer this as an opportunity for somebody to meet me, whether it be on the Amazon bookshelves or a real bookshelf. And even more importantly, you know, when I meet people one-on-one, -on -one, it, it could be as informal as they might join Social Authority or if they're working with our company. I've always felt like there's this certain amount of literature that somebody should take in as an, as somebody that interacts with your company and they should know what your ideologies are and they should know how you approach all this stuff. And so I'm really excited to have a book because it's an opportunity to let someone find out very quickly, you know, how I do things and, and how it's going to be like working with me in some capacity, regardless of what intricate way and all the different ways you can do that. Um, in addition, one of those being speaking, uh, it's always been interesting to me that even though I make videos, when I walk off stage, people want to buy a book from me. And I'm like, why don't you just go watch my YouTube channel? It's all free videos and you can learn lots of stuff there. Um, but <laughs> It's this weird thing that people love to do. They they like to go to events. They like to see speakers. They like to be motivated. And I can do all of that. And they usually want to leave with a book, maybe signed and a selfie. And so that they can go home and then reiterate everything that they learned and, and do it. There's something very interesting about the fact that a book does that for people. So I didn't have that before. And now I'm very excited that, you know, if someone feels passionately enough, about what I taught them that they can now buy my ideologies in, in a very small 300 page book and, and move forward with it. And I'm not going to stop anybody from taking action. So that's essentially what I've been doing by not offering them a book to read. So you said you've been putting it off for quite a while. Mm -hmm. How did you find the process of actually doing it? Um, well, it was difficult because like you said, I have a lot of things going on. And even though I started writing the book earlier in 2016, I stalled because what I was trying to do was make a couple of hours a day in the morning happen and then stop short so that I can move about my day as usual. And that was just not productive for me. I think once you get going an hour in, you don't want to stop yourself an hour or two later. And so um, I found that I needed to outline time to just remove everything from my calendar and make it happen. That couldn't happen until August. And so in August, I marked off three weeks. 
unfortunately, but very fortunately, YouTube called and asked me to be a part of their Next Step program, which took one week out of that, but it was perfectly timed because I could then provide some additional value in my book that I learned from being a part of that. And um, that was probably the biggest thing I had to discover was completely allowing myself to focus and immerse myself in the book to get it done and stop trying to get it done a little bit at a time to make it fit in with everything else. If it's going to be the best possible thing, then I need to give it my undivided attention. So that was, that was a process. So that comes out this week, right? Yes, on Tuesday. <laughs> so it's vlog like a boss. Go to beingfreelance.com. We'll put a link through, of course, as we do for all our guests uh, to what Amy's up to. But um, so you can check out um, the book as well. But so vlog like a boss, would you obviously like we're a load of freelancers listening to this as a freelancer? Like, would you say I should be vlogging about my business or I should be just vlogging in general or I shouldn't do it at all? Like, what would your thoughts be? I think it's going to depend on who you want to be in your audience and what they care about, because that's what you should be vlogging about. That being said, you want that to align with what your specialty is or align with what the journey of your business is. So the most successful video bloggers that I have seen show something. They show something. They, they don't just get on camera and talk. They do it with the intention of, of showing the viewer something that they may not have seen before. And when you show rather than tell, it's much more effective. And that's what video blogging truly is at its, at its greatest form. So I think everybody should at least think about it. It can mean a lot of things. It may not mean starting a YouTube channel. You can be a video blogger on Snapchat and totally kill it. But what does that look like for you? What makes sense for you? Start with what you can, where you are with what you have, and, and, and start to show whoever your audience is, ideally your potential clients, what you would want them to know about you and what it's like to work with you and what your values are and, and the good work that you do. That's what I would do. So it could partly be showing, as in documenting what you're doing, something, a project you're working on something. Absolutely. Documentation has been a big, big focus of my channel in addition to education, um, but so I had to start with a little bit more education than I did documenting because there, that was just the journey that I chose. And so that's sort of how it's evolved over time. In the last month, all of January has been a heavy amount of documentation because this process of being an author um, is important for me and my thought leadership. I want people to see that side of me and to see what it's like for me to be going through this the first time. And um, I feel that that makes me more relatable to anyone that I want to work with. And that's really the whole point of video is relatability. I come up against this quite a bit when I'm trying to convince people is that they say, yeah, but how about the editing bit of it? I, I worry about, you know, because I, you know, we've all got good cameras in our pockets now, but about, about the editing, but puts them off even starting. Yeah, there's, there's a million reasons. Gear, editing, all those things can be a great reason to not get started. But the reality is it's 2017 and your phone can take flawless HD video. There's probably an app for $5 that'll let you edit on the phone. You can even upload clips to YouTube and edit within YouTube. And there's Adobe. Adobe's got the most accessible video editor possible and it's not even software. So I argue that editing is not a good enough reason. And again, if you don't want to edit, at least let video happen through a social network like Instagram or Snapchat. Mm, cool. You've clearly built a community where you're helping people and you're teaching people, but who's there for you? 
Oh, my fiance. My fiance, my mom, and Lucy, my dog. The three of them, without them, the world does not turn. <laughs> your dog is awesome in your videos. <laughs> she's she's wonderful. We've we've been hanging tough together since I was 18 years old and she was eight weeks old. We have become adults together. So. <laughs> she's got a great <laughs> poker face as well. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And do you have like a, a community of, um, I don't know, a mentor or mastermind? I have, I have, um, I have my personal board of directors, and those are people that I have grown to respect in different ways. It could be someone that specializes in speaking versus online product versus work-life balance versus all the things. There are key people that I stay connected with as sort of my core, and I call them my personal board of directors, nice. just nice. so that I can talk to them whenever I feel a struggle in a certain capacity. I know exactly who I go to in that way. And I think that just takes, um, you know, really getting to know who you work well with over time and who you know, feel like you can always trust and allowing yourself to have that opportunity to say, Hey, I want to stay connected with you. And I hope I can just, you know, asking someone to be your mentor can be a really big ask, but just saying, Hey, I'd love to come to you anytime I'm struggling with this particular thing. You'll actually find people are very kind and will allow you to do that. I don't even have to do that anymore. People just like to talk to me because I provide value. They provide value and we just have a great little chat and then, you know, we go on our merry way. So yeah, I highly recommend that. What would you say have been the biggest challenges? Anything I'm not good at. So you forget when you go and do your own thing that there were a lot of things taken care of for you when you had a full-time job, such as, you know, arranging your your taxes getting paid or getting health insurance and all that kind of stuff. All that mundane administrative stuff was my biggest challenge because all I wanted to do was make videos. So <laughs> that's, um, that was probably what I would say is my biggest challenge. All right. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay. Two truths, one lie. I was adopted when I was 12 years old. I wear a size nine women's shoe. And, and I met Mike Tyson. So you were adopted at the age of 12 or you found out you were adopted at the age of 12? I was adopted when I t was 12 years old. You wear a size nine shoe and you met Mike Tyson. You see, normally I ask a lot more questions, but each of these is a good statement in itself. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike Tyson. Why? When did you meet Mike Tyson? Where does everyone meet Mike Tyson? <laughs> in, in a shoe shop looking at ladies' size nine? Don't tell me he's got ladies' size nine feet. No. Well, where did... Have you ever seen The Hangover? <laughs> Actually, I haven't. No, I'm about the only person who hasn't. Oh, okay. Well, well, they met Mike Tyson in Las Vegas. And so did you. And so did I. So you were adopted at 12, but then you can be adopted at 12 because maybe that's just a legal formality that meant you were adopted at 12. Size nine. You have never met Mike Tyson. I do not wear a size nine shoe. Ah! Size nine was the obvious truth. <laughs> 
obvious. I know. I was like, this is going to be good. I think I'm going to throw him for a loop. I met Mike Tyson in Las Vegas. This is before The Hangover was filmed, and he was living his miserable life as a personality that sits behind a, a, a rope at a club. And one of my friends got behind the rope and I went back there and I sat next to him and I took a photo and it is the best photo of all time because he's so miserable and so sad. He's not even looking in the lens and I just look like I'm photoshopped in the photo. And, and you have to believe me, it's real. Good and friends. when I was 12, I was adopted formally in the court by my stepfather. And mm. that is when I became Amy Schmittauer. I knew it. Size nine. <laughs> um, okay. I don't have a size nine shoe. Yeah, but do you know what? That if I sat strange. here and go, you don't have a size nine shoe. What are you with your clown feet or something? <laughs> then you'd have gone, yeah, actually, that one was true. Uh, and no, I, we I don't want to offend anybody with size nine shoe either. <laughs> size nine's not that big. It doesn't think it's not that big. It sounds totally plausible. I know. I um, know. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? People will pay you to not take your advice and you're just going to have to get over it. And uh, that was really hard for me to face for a while at the beginning. But you know what? People wanted to pay to hear your advice and not take it. So That whole thing of like a sense of frustration. Mm. Yeah. Well, think about what your portfolio looks like if you're getting clients and they're paying you and, and they're not doing what you say. What do you have to brag about? What do you have to show everybody? It was awful. Cool. Listen, Amy, thank you so much. Good luck with the book out this week, of course, as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you vlog like a boss and uh, and everything else as well. Including, you know, it, I know for a fact you're now going to have to go and check out where the dog is in these videos. So, um, <laughs> so I'll let you go do that as well. Uh, oh, is that the dog in the background? Oh, yeah. She Jesus, she found you. She found you. She's like, she's like, you're talking about me. I know it. <laughs> Just chewing on a size nine slipper. Exactly. Um, all of the links you need at beingfreelance.com. And of course, you can check out my own vlog uh, since I'm doing it. Perhaps not like a boss, but I am doing it. So check it out. Link at beingfreelance.com or go to youtube.com slash Steve Folland, F-O-L-L-A-N-D. But yeah, Amy, good luck with the book and all the best being freelance. Thank you. So there you are. Hope you enjoyed that. If you're new to being freelance, please do delve deeper into our back catalogue of guests because, well, you might have missed stuff like this. I think just having that mentality that was helpful for a freelancer to not rest on your laurels. If business is really good, then it's safe to assume that that could change. It's kind of about knowing your worth and being prepared for them to walk away if they don't see the value in it. In the freelance world, it's not good to view other freelancers as competition. There's enough work to go around for all of us. My real issue is I can't say no to people. I just want to do everything that comes my way. You don't necessarily do yourself favours by over-delivering. I think sort of when you start out, often as a freelancer, you're very, very keen to impress clients and um, you sort of inadvertently and accidentally set the bar extremely high for your day rate. You know, it's so different than having a set salary and thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to make this year, that's it. With the freelance lifestyle, you have so much opportunity to out-earn the previous month or to out-earn your last year annual billable income. I love that challenge. I think it's very exciting. 
it's also very dangerous. All those guests and more, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever it might be. And of course, you can find them all at beingfreelance.com. That's it for this one, though. Have a great week. Being Freelance. Being Freelance.